Welcome to the Fearless Health Podcast with host Dr. Anne-Marie Barter. Dr. Barter is on a mission to help people achieve their health and wellness goals and help men and women live their best lives fearlessly. Dr. Barter is the founder of Alternative Family Medicine and Chiropractic in Denver and Longmont, Colorado. Thank you so much, Dr. Sandy, for joining us today. I'm so excited to have you here on the podcast. Oh, I am thrilled to be here. Thank you. Awesome. So I am very, very interested in what you like to talk about, what you've written a book about, et cetera, and anti-aging medicine. So you look fantastic for starters, <laughs> which, which I really want to know how you got into anti-aging medicine. Uh, it's a good question. And it's it sort of rooted from what I'm good at. Uh, I was a cell biologist once upon a time. I gave up on that and went to med school. I now worry about, you know, physiology and pharmacokinetics, pharmacodynamics. I push drugs every day because that's just what I do as an anesthesiologist. Um, and I'm also a bit of an explorer. Anyone that knows me knows I like to attempt to climb big mountains. I hang from cliffs. I just beat myself up any way I possibly can. And I decided in my mid-40s that I wanted to continue to be able to do this sort of thing kind of forever. Um, so rather than sort of accept aging, I decided to figure it out. And I've done the best that I possibly could to sort of try to figure it out, categorize it, and then create strategies. Uh, started out just for myself, but now it's sort of spread to anyone that wants to hear it. And so what are some of the anti-aging secrets that you found? Well, they're not really secrets per se. It's, it's really interesting. The scientists know this stuff. And if you feel like reading incredibly drab, boring articles, they'll tell you. But there's very little trickle down to the normal population. And a lot of the stuff that does, that does get trickled down isn't exactly accurate. Uh, maybe it's too simplified and it doesn't make a heck of a lot of sense. So I sort of see myself self as an interpreter of what the sort of, you know, the scientific geeks say and then what we should actually be doing as real people. Um, so in terms of secrets, there are no true secrets. Um, I've sort of divided things up, and I call the seven tenets of aging. And you'll see the nine hallmarks of aging. You'll see it sort of divided up in different ways. But I made it as simple as I possibly could so that regular people could understand it. And I created a factory model, which is in the book. But essentially, it's all about how your cells operate and how your cells fail over time. Uh, I can go into those if you want. They're kind of drab and boring, but I'm happy to if you want. <laughs> I think maybe just the overview kind of cliff notes version that would be easy for folks to understand. Perfect. All right. So cliff notes. Tenet one is about your DNA. DNA gets shorter with time and it gets modified. It's called epigenetic modification. So that's problem number one. Problem number two is every cell needs energy and your mitochondria fail over time. And the good news is we know why and how we can fix this. So that's cool. Uh, number three, I call pathways. There are aging pathways and non-aging pathways. And unfortunately, the ones that you want get turned off and the ones that you want or you want to turn off get turned on. So it's sort of backwards with time. And the good news is we can alter that. Uh, there's something that I call quality control. You have DNA and protein errors that occur at a huge rate in your cells every day. And um, you have repair mechanisms. Unfortunately, these get turned off and we need to turn them back on. There's uh, something that I call the security system, and this has to do with um, cells that control your immune system as well as your inflammatory processes. And of course, your ability to fight infection goes down and your inflammatory system goes up, so we need to re-reverse those. Um, 
tenet six has to do with individual cell requirements because a liver cell is different than a red cell, which is different than a senescent cell, et cetera. So we need to address those properties. And then the last uh, tenet I call waste management because you have to take out the trash. Um, and this basically is glucose overload. It causes something called advanced glycation end products and they sort of screw up your insides. They destroy your collagen. They destroy all sorts of proteins. Um, they just wreak havoc. And then there's something called lipofusion, which is basically the trash that you don't take out that destroys long-lived cells. So I hope that that sort of suffices as the cliff note version. Mm -hmm. And so certain people definitely age faster than other people. And so really you've boiled it down to these components that are actually creating that aging process to be faster. For example, gray hair, more wrinkles, et cetera, whatever it is, um, weak, um, muscle tone, you know, uh, what elasticity, whatever it is that we're associating with aging or feeling like we're aging can be boiled down to one of these things or multiple of these things, I would assume. Oh, without a doubt. We all start with their genetic code. Um, okay. and people think that that is a huge predictor and, and it is, uh, on the other hand, what we do to ourselves over the course of time via these seven tenants is huge. Um, and it's sort of why, you know, identical twins look less and less and less alike over the course of time because of environmental inputs. Clearly, they're aging differently because of what they're doing to themselves and not their genetics. So absolutely. And the key is trying to figure out which uh, categories affect you as a person more than any other category. And then not focusing on, I mean, you have to focus on all of them, but you can certainly put more focus on the one that directly affects you. You know what's interesting is uh, you know, I run a, you know I run a lot of testing, but I definitely I check mitochondrial function on a, on an organic acids test quite a bit, and it is devastated in a large portion of the population, which is mm -hmm. scary. Which you know I would not have expected. I'll have folks come in that are twenty years old, and they have they have problems in at least two or three mitochondrial pathways that are showing, you know, no issues with aging, you know, they look great, but already we're already seeing that blood sugar dysregulation in a pretty major way. I mean, in environmental exposure in a, in a pretty big way in, in a young population. So you think kind of through the years, this is accumulating, creating more and more damage throughout. Is that really what you're seeing? Oh, of course it is. Of course it is. Because people don't think that they are aging before the age of 35. Mm -hmm. But in fact, different body systems start aging extremely young. You're seeing it on a cellular basis in the 20s. So it translates into organs and external damage by the time you get to 30, 35. So I encourage people to sort of start early and be aware of all of these things. Um, but just to your point, if you have mitochondrial damage when you're young, uh, two things happen. Number one, you get a generation of more free radicals which destroys your mitochondria, destroys your DNA, destroys your proteins, and sucks up a ton more energy than you would normally be using. So you're behind the eight ball there. In addition, every time your mitochondria get recycled, it's called mitophagy, sort of just mitochondrial autophagy, you're creating more uh, lipofusion. So that gets stashed in the back of your cells. Your body can't get rid of it and becomes a serious problem in cells that don't turn over, like your brain cells. And those people are more likely to have degenerative neurological diseases over time. Mm -hmm. I've also seen quite a bit, and I'm curious what you think about this, a lot of people are low in glutathione when you run testing. 
it's just they've burned through it over and over again. Do you, what's your thought on that? So what's really interesting, and there's this huge personality at either IV or other sort of, you know, accessory glutathione. In fact, I was, I saw something today about someone recommending um, a suppository glutathione, which I thought was a little That's bit new. odd, right? Uh -huh. Bizarre. But in reality, your body should make enough glutathione all by itself, right? It's made in the mitochondria. It's up there with superoxide dismutase and peroxidases and all that sort of thing. So what I generally recommend to people is we need to optimize cellular health. And there are a variety of natural agents that you can take that not only service free radical scavengers themselves, but actually encourage your body and your mitochondria to make its own glutathione. And I think that's actually more important because all of these things are on feedback loops. So if you're taking exogenous glutathione, uh, there's certainly significant, um, I wouldn't say proof, but it seems completely theoretically reasonable that you're not making enough of your own. Because it, it's sort of like it falls into the hormone feedback loop problem. Mm -hmm. Exactly. So what are some of the things that we can help our body to do to turn around to to slow or potentially really, really slow down this process? So again, it, it depends on how old you are and what your main problems are. Mm -hmm. So for example, people below the age of 40, it's mostly um, exposure to environmental issues, um, what they're putting in themselves and what they're doing to themselves. After the age of 40, it starts becoming deficiencies within themselves. So for example, after the age of 40, your sirtuins start to slide. So you, you need to sort of, you know, bolster that via resveratrol, pterostilbene, there are a variety of sirtuin activators. Um, but then of course, you're also nicotinamide deficient. So you need to be worrying about that. As well, the inflammation starts uh, sort of cruising up. So I recommend people take sort of natural anti-inflammatories such as, you know, curcumins. Um, and then all the glucose starts adding up. So we work on transglycosylating agents. Mm -hmm. below, below the age of 40, I try to get people more focused on free radical scavenging. I know people love to drink things that have antioxidants in them. And to be perfectly honest, uh, and I'm going to use the vernacular here, I, I think that's crap. I don't think that, I just don't think that there's enough of it in there to actually do anything. Um, as well, people want to eat fruits and vegetables. I think that's fantastic, but I don't think the concentrations are enough to actually make a difference. Um, as well, the other thing under the age of 40 is you need to worry about epigenetic modification because affecting your genes and how you translate um, and make proteins is going to be huge. And clearly, um, that can be a huge factor while you're young. And what does that mean? I think that a lot of folks are not going to know what that means, epigenetic modifications. Okay, so here's really boring science for you. So we all, we all know that <laughs> our, our DNA, you know, Watson and Creek 1957-ish described like the double helix thing with, and everyone remembers this from the fifth grade, I hope. Um, it's the, the spiraling stairwell of all the, you know, it doesn't matter. Anyway, that, <laughs> that, uh, is wrapped around something called histones. Um, it looks like Christmas lights, like you'll see a strand, wrap, 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 strand, wrap, 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 strand, wrap, wrap. So the control of what gets made, uh, because every cell carries every genetic possibility, what gets made, because every cell is different, is determined by what we call epigenetics. So it has to do with modifications on top of your normal genetic strands. Usually this is methylation, so methyl groups get glued on. I like to draw them like they're lollipops, but there's also acetylation and phosphorylation and, and a variety of other modifications. And the more you have in any one spot means that your gene can't be processed. So 
you know, in general, as you age, you become less methylated. So people are obsessed with methylation. Um, at the same time, it's they not. Are. I know, right? But at the same time, it's not. It's not a linear thing. Some areas become more methylated. Some areas become less methylated. So it's more the pattern than the actual numbers. Um, and this, of course, leads to the methylation clocks. Steve Horvath came up with the first one. He looked at, what, 363 regions of your DNA and the ratio of what was methylated and what was, or hyper versus hypomethylated, pretty much told you how physiologically old you are. And now there's a whole bunch of different clocks that do roughly the same thing. Um, but we know that there are a lot of natural agents and some not so natural agents that positively affect your methylation patterns. Mm -hmm. And you mentioned a little bit about niacin. Do you believe that niacin um, will increase homocysteine if you take it long term? Uh, so the answer is sort of. I don't actually tell anyone to take straight niacin. What you need to do is increase your NAD levels. Mm -hmm. Right. Right. Exactly. Uh, NAD levels go down. or They're used in four different pathways, which are essential. And of course, as you get older, you have less. So you really need to increase your NAD levels. So it's either, you know, nicotinamide riboside or NMN. It also comes IV, it comes IM, it comes as a patch because everyone's sort of battling out for territory. Um, does it do anything in the long term? Probably a little bit, but I think the danger of not having it is probably worse. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree with you. It seems like people are incredibly deficient. People feel very different when you give them NAD. Uh, it's like a, it's a pretty big game changer. Um, in my opinion. 100%. Um, and, you know, and, the, and the war is on in terms of which one is going to be the king. Um, right. It, it, right now it just has to do with trademarking and, and money and, and everything else. But the reality is if you are over 40, you probably are deficient and you probably would benefit. Yeah. What do you, what's your opinion on CoQ10, Ubiquinol, etc.? Do you feel like they're powerful agents? So I think obviously they're part of the electron transport chain. Mm -hmm. um, and over the course of time, you do have less CoQ10. But I don't think that it's a rate-limiting problem until you're probably 55 or 60 or have concurrent cardiovascular problem. Yeah, do you think that uh, it... Oh, sorry. No, no, and I, I think I'm actually I'm concerned that the standard CoQ10 doesn't get where it needs to go. Yeah. Um, so I think that the mitochondrial specific CoQ10 is probably a little bit more expensive, but I think it's more efficacious. But yeah. if you're 40 years old, I don't think you need it. Yeah. So it's it's been interesting because that's been touted on the mitochondrial pathways as well as NAD, um, mm -hmm. you know, to really push those mitochondria. And, you know, there are other things that clearly affect the mitochondrial pathways, but those two things have been, you know, king and queen for for that. Do you, do you agree with that statement or, you know, that that's been kind of the general consensus? Well, to a certain degree, the CoQ10's gotten sort of a lot of press because, you know, they take these really old people with cardiovascular disease, <laughs> right? Yeah. And they give it to them and they do better, which is fine. But that does not necessarily mean that someone in their 40s needs to be on CoQ10. You need to sort of look at these things, you know, who are the individuals, what are their medical problems, and how old are they, and where are they on the aging scale? Like, I just don't think that it's the answer for people that are younger than, you know, 55, 60. Mm -hmm. Where, you know, on the opposite end, nicotinamide is truly deficient by the age of 40, and we know this. So, you know, oh, yeah. are they bo they're both absolutely important. 
The other fun thing is once you get to know mitochondria, and I love mitochondria. They're so cool. It's so right? cool. It's just, so, <laughs> yes. So it's, it's sort of funny. I um I did a, a master's degree looking at chloroplasts um, in plants in the tropics years and years and years ago. And it's so cool because chloroplasts are completely opposite to mitochondria. So like it was my my favorite organelle sort of growing up as a scientist. But anyway, once you understand mitochondria, they're awesome to play with because you can uncouple them if you want to lose weight. You can recouple them if you want to be a better athlete. And you can even change the subunits out if you want to do any altitude hiking. So do you do that? So much fun to do it. How do you do that? So there are a variety of agents that have proven to change the, the subunits along the cytochrome system that better utilize oxygen. It sort of mimics uh, the mitochondrial profile of people that live in the Himalayas. Phenomenal. Oh, it's incredible. And, and I did this when I went to Everest, and I did this when I went to um, Aconcagua, and I did pretty darn well. And is that – so it's just – it's supplements that you're yeah. utilizing? Wow. That's incredible. Oh, yeah. I did, I, I did not know that you could do that. So what happens is if you look into the cultural taking of specific agents, um, some scientists in some country somewhere has looked at these things and – specifically determined exactly what it is that they do. It's just not advertised. So if you really want to know something, it's out there. It's just a matter of finding it. Absolutely. Very, so, very cool. So I took a deep dive into, you know, alpha subunits of some cytochrome that I can't remember the specifics on. And man, did I take a lot of it before I went. It was fantastic. Wow. Did you generally used to get altitude sickness or I have did. trouble out there? Yeah. I did. And, and you know, so... I didn't make it all the way. I didn't try to go up Everest, but I went to base camp, which is 16.9, and it was fine. And then in February in Aconcagua, I was at 21.4, and I was fine. Mm -hmm. Keep in mind, you, I live at sea level, so this stuff works. Yeah, where do you live? Miami Beach. <laughs> wow. So you were really... <laughs> that's incredible. Wow. Because, you know, I laugh here, um, you know, because I'm in Colorado, and so... You know, I climb mountains just like you all the time, do all the crazy sports, you know, mm -hmm. I, I ski up mountains, I ski down mountains, anything that's crazy, I think I'm, I've signed up for it. But I initially realized that um, I was getting altitude sickness when I would get above treeline working at a certain level. So when mm -hmm. I was pushing it at a certain level, I would notice that my legs would get fatigued. I would have a hard time continuing to push it. At, and it was just like they felt like lead, you know, mm -hmm. and that was and, – and I couldn't eat. You know, you would feel a little bit nauseous, yeah. right? And, you know, it did help. Actually, I did do supplements that actually did help um, to push those pathways a little bit. But I actually – before I would go up there, I would do high-dose chlorella. And that actually would, I, I don't, I figured it would just transport the oxygen better and spirulina, but it, it did, it actually worked. So to some degree, which was incredible. But Fantastic. Per, well, I'm, I'm happy to share my list with yeah, you. I can please, it. please. <laughs> um, so yes. So I think that that is phenomenal. So why do you think, do you, do you feel that we're exposed to, um, so many environmental chemicals every day um, that are really going to affect the aging process. Things like benzene, MTBE, 
mold, uh, you know, what, you know, name, name your chemical exposure, heavy metals, whatever it is. Is that what you feel is something that is really um, affecting the aging process in a pretty big way? You know, it's really hard to sort out because people have been aging since the dawn of humanity. Mm-hmm. You know, some people age faster, some people age slower, as, as we've talked about. Um, it's really hard to say because when you go to sort of places that don't have all of these toxicities, they're not living any longer. Um, so it's really hard to say. I mean, we like to think that that's a huge problem. And of course, you know, we can do things to sort of block that stuff and clean it out. But the answer is we don't actually really know. And we'll never know because it's hard to do experiments such as that. Um, the key, however, is these things do sort of magnify the problems that we have in the seven tenants anyway. So by fixing them, you're going to fix whatever issues, regardless of, of what their etiology is. You know what I mean? Yeah, I do. And, you know, sugar being a big part of the aging that that's helping us to age faster in a big way. Um, how, how much faster do you believe that that's making a lot of people age? How much is that speeding up or have you done any research into that? Well, it's, it's impossible to say how much it speeds it up again, because we can do these mouse studies, right? But mm-hmm. they're not exactly parallel to who we're we not are. human. Yeah. And, and we don't human studies in longevity just take far too long. Like you can't take babies and say you're going to eat sugar and you're not and look at them 90 years later. <laughs> we just don't have the capacity to do that. Um, but clearly people that consume far too much sugar or have issues with sugar, i.e. diabetics, have a huge number of concomitant medical problems, right? Not only are they diabetic, they have high, glu- they have high uh, blood pressure, they've got cardiac disease, they're more likely to get cancer, they have inflammatory diseases. So we just know that it's bad. Um, and of course, the worse of the diabetic you are, the more problems you're going to have. Uh, my argument has always been that we're all essentially pre-diabetic because over the course of time, we are all going to get the same diabetic diseases just more slowly. Mm-hmm. It's true. Um, so so as, as a consequence of that, I mean, we can't get rid of the glucose in our diet. Some people do, however. I mean, they eat like ridiculously small quantities, but we need it, right? Our cells are dependent on it. Um, but if you can sort of understand the pathway by which the glucose gets into you, gets processed, and then causes problems, you can sort of defeat some of those by cheating, mm-hmm. at least what I call cheating. Do you, do you believe in any of the, you know, kind of the new age um, intermittent fasting or fasting uh, per se to decrease blood sugar, specifically insulin levels? Do you have any comments on that? Well, caloric restriction is really interesting for a variety of reasons, because it was actually the first thing that demonstrated increase in longevity in most organisms, right? But it's not necessarily the glucose that does it. There are innumerable pathways that that activates. It activates your sirtuins, it activates your AMP kinase, uh, it decreases mTOR uh, on top of the the glucose business. It just has a lot of really good things. And plus, you know, people just lose weight and then they feel better. So it unto itself is fantastic. Um, I personally don't have the ability to not eat all the time. I'm just mm-hmm. kind of a bad junk food junkie, admittedly. <laughs> uh, Are so, you really? I don't oh, even believe it. I am really? Oh, I'm horrible. Ask no anything. way. <laughs> I eat donuts every day, and it's terrible. People yell at me for saying that publicly, but I do. Um, I'm really but, jealous. <laughs> no, no, no. no. You, any, anyone can do it. <laughs> you you too do can it. do this. <laughs> no, but, you know, it's, it's called, you know, manipulation of your life so that you can optimize what you like, right? Um, totally. I, I can't stand salad. I wish I liked it, but I, I just really, 
every once in a while I try to eat one and I just can't do it. Um, but as a consequence, knowing that glucose is bad for you, you can pretty much you know, block absorption into your bloodstream, right, from your gut. Metformin does that. You can block different stages of how it gets non-enzymatically processed into an AGE. Uh, you can transglycosylate it out of your tissues if you want. You can even strip it off your collagen. There are innumerable ways to deal with glucose loads. Um, and I tell you, there's probably 20 some of the agents, and I'm probably on 10 of them every day. Um, my kids think I'm nuts. On the other hand, this is my method of dealing with my donut addiction. That's so funny. So we've got, so really metformin is, is something that you found that's a pretty powerful hack. A lot of people have said that, but it's a pretty powerful hack to help with blood sugar levels. But, but see, metformin is so much more powerful than that. Everyone says, oh, it's good for your blood pressure or God, I'm blood sugar. No, I'm with blood you. Sugar, thank you. Like, um, you know, why can't we take Bavarian or one of the other things? And the answer is metformin is so much more than that, which is why everyone's on it. Mm-hmm. Um, it actually isn't, so I'm just going to run the list really fast. Let's run it, yeah. It's an epigenetic modifier, so it actually preserves your DNA, so that's extremely helpful. It actually increases uh, production of uh, metformin. Metformin is useful because it's an epigenetic modifier, I'm so sorry. Um, it actually helps your mitochondria. What I read uh, the other day, which is so interesting, is there's something called a, called a uh, mitochondrial pore, and these pores open and close uh, over time. And when you're young, they, the, the pores are pretty much closed. Um, and when they open with age, they emit all sorts of horrible things from the mitochondria into the rest of the cell, causing it to become either senescent or apoptotic. So if you can keep your mitochondrial pores closed, you do much better. And of course, metformin is the only drug we know right now that keeps your mitochondrial pores closed, which is kind of interesting, right? Uh, It also uncouples your mitochondria temporarily so that you can lose a little weight if you want. So that's kind of nice, right? It uh, changes the bacterial mix in your gut and it selects out for skinny people bacteria versus fat people bacteria. It activates your AMP kinase pathways and your sirtuin pathways, which you want for anti-aging. And that's on top of all of the glucose things. So it just really is a fantastic drug with very minimal side effects. I did not know that it actually changed your gut flora. That's oh, yeah. something else. I, I was not familiar with that. 100%. Wow. <laughs> and wow, I, I had no and idea. I mean, a lot of people are touting its benefits, but I've never heard it broken down quite that succinctly. And I didn't realize how powerful it was. So that's great. Oh, and I'm, I'm probably missing a few, but those, those, those are the highlights. And what's interesting is so when people start it for the first week or two, they tend to get some GI upset. Um, and that is thought to be due to the changing microbiota in your gut. So it's actually a good thing. People hate it, but it's a good thing. And then it sort of settles in and then you're fine. The key at that point is not to be taking any antibiotics because then you sort of destroy the balance in your gut again. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think most people understand that when they go through that that change. I mean, as long as that's explained, most people can get on board with that fascinating does it do anything with transit time or has it had any effect on SIBO do you know because it's I don't know okay I really I just don't know I have not read anything about that wow okay so one of the big things that happens to when we age is our eye health goes and you have talked a little bit about what you can do to keep your eyes healthy but but I'm not familiar with much of the aging process in the eyes. Can you potentially go into that and maybe some tools and tricks or 
tips with the eyes per se. <laughs> So, so people talk about vision as if it's all one thing, right? And when you are young, it kind of is, right? You're either nearsighted or farsighted, and it has to do with the shape of your eyeball. And there's really not a whole lot we can do about that, right, except for LASIK. As you get older, two things in general, and, you know, an ophthalmologist is going to tell me I'm missing seven other things, but in general, there are two basic things. Uh, number one, we start losing night vision, and it has to do with the retina. Your retina has two basic types of cells back there. There's cones for color and rods for black and white. And the mitochondria start failing, so the, your night vision just fails because you need more light to sort of see. Uh, the other thing that happens is your lens, which is sort of in the front of your eye below your cornea, starts getting hardened. And it does this because the AGEs or the glycated sugar sort of gets onto the, uh, the lens uh, proteins, just makes it stiff. And if the lens is stiff, it can't move very well. Um, so here are my hacks for that. You can sort of get rid of some of the glycation uh, on the lens with uh, carnosine eye drops. Mm -hmm. It's N-carnosine eye drops. And it's interesting, if you go to Amazon or anywhere, you'll see that there are a zillion of these, and they're all sort of uh, put out there for dog cataracts. But the reality is, right? Is, right? I mean, everyone's <laughs> like, oh, my dog has great vision. I'm like, well, why don't you? Um, <laughs> You know, it's, it's amazing. There was a study many years ago in Russia. They, they gave these to like 50,000 people and everyone said, hey, my vision's better. I don't have dry eye. Um, my cataracts are getting better. I don't have presbyopia. And people are like, fantastic. So if you happen to live in Moscow, you can buy it at their CVS and it's fantastic. Here it's a little bit, um, you know, you just have to get it on Amazon and it's fine. Uh, the other drug that you can get, which is also Russian, which is kind of cool, is Vizomitin. Uh, it's also called SKQ1, and it is designed specifically to go to the mitochondria in your retina to sort of soup up the cells that are affecting your night vision. Um, and it's, it's remarkable. I mean, I can't turn back everyone's vision. If you're 99, I'm, you know, it's probably a little bit too late. But if you feel that your vision's starting to fail, the combination of these two eye drops is really miraculous. Um, the other fun thing is that Visomitten has to be kept in the fridge. Um, so when you wake up in the morning and you put cold eye drops in, it's a wake-up call. <laughs> That's how I wake up every morning. So I don't drink coffee. I just use cold eye drops. Is your vision perfect? It's fantastic. Oh, wow. Wow. That is really neat. So no contacts, nothing. Yeah. Nothing. I don't know how people do. So my vision is actually perfect, too. And yeah, but I'm, you look like you're 12. Uh, yeah, I wish. And I would love to be 12 <laughs> again. I would do that differently <laughs> if I could go back in time. Um, <laughs> good. I'm glad I'm on the anti-aging pathway because I'm not. Um, but I panic. I, I'm like, one day I might have to put in contacts and I panic because I cannot touch my eyeball. Like that is the one thing I cannot do. It. Mm -mm. Nope, can't touch it. Don't know how people do it. So it's, it's a big quest for me to make sure I never have to touch my well, eyeball. We can, we can help that. <laughs> Thank you very much. It's very helpful. So we have all sorts of creams and potions and all of these things that promise anti-aging. And if you eat this food, you won't age. And if you do this cream with this combination, what do you think of all of the creams and whatnot? And how, how effective do you believe that these things are with aging? That's an excellent question. That's a huge question because now you're asking me to take on all of the uh, take them on. giant <laughs> companies. Uh, and, and the answer is it depends on what 
the ingredients are, uh, what the delivery system is, and it depends on how old your skin is. Um, and so let me, let me back up a whiff. If you think about skin, and I don't know if anyone's actually ever thought about a cross-section of their skin, but the epidermis, epi meaning on top, right, like epigenetics, ep, it, it's on the top, and then your dermis is sort of below it, and that looks like I have really huge fingers. Um, but there's, there's a, like this uh, vacillating line in between um, that allows like stuff to get in because there's more surface area to the actual dermis. And the older you get, that line flattens out. So less stuff is able to penetrate into your dermis to do any good whatsoever. So given the same topical agent, let's say it has decent penetration, it's going to be incredibly helpful when you're younger. And then when you're older, it's not going to do a damn thing because it just can't get in. So that, that's number one. That's a physiologic thing. Then it has to do with the actual ingredients. Um, and one of the things I got incredibly frustrated with is if you look at the expensive agents, you know, at Neiman Marcus or whatever, um, the actual agents, the percentages that are known to be useful are so tiny that like it, you'd think that it would be good, but it really isn't. Um, so, you know, what, what, what are people to do? So the answer is, and you know, I don't expect everyone to do this. I went and I came up with a list of things that I th thought were important for, you know, my face as well as the rest of my body. I buy the actual, you know, ingredients wholesale and I have mixed them up in my kitchen and I make my own face stuff because I know exactly what's in it and I know what concentrations there are because there are some things that are extraordinarily beneficial and some things that just aren't. Mm -hmm. Are you going to sell this in a, in a supplement or a you face cream I, 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 I thought about it because everyone laughs at me and they're like, mom, number one, you know, it, it looks ugly. Like, like the stuff I put all over my body, they call it swamp juice. Yeah. Um, well, that's what it looks like when you mix it up. It does. It really does. And I don't have the ability to like, you know, I don't know, whatever. Like I'm mean, like, mom, looking. you're going to go against L'Oreal. You're going to go against all of these folks. And the, and the answer is if, you know, my friends and family want some, I, you know, I mix up giant batches and sort of pass it out, but I've not made it sort of uh, available to the general public yet. Unless, uh, you know, if your folks want it, I'm happy to sort of start making it. Awesome. I think that's great. And what do you think about, you know, um, hyaluronic acid has been debated about, oh yes, you need it in your skin, you need to take it orally, oh no, it doesn't absorb into your skin. What's your comment on hyaluronic acid? So hyaluronic acid is one of those things that I think does get good press. Uh, it turns over in your body every 24 hours. So people always say, oh, you look dehydrated, you need to drink something. And the answer is, uh, you might be dehydrated, but if you don't have enough hyaluronic acid in your skin to sort of hold on to that water, um, it's just gonna disappear anyway. So depending, again, on your age and how much you can absorb into your skin, uh, I encourage people to both take it orally and slather it on. Um, because if you're young, obviously slathering helps, and if you're not, you need to take it sort of orally. But you have to remember that hyaluronic acid just isn't in your skin. It's in any viscous area in your body. So it's in your joints. Um, it's, it's anything that moves around, right? Your synovial fluid, all sorts of things. So as you get older and your joints start to creak, you know, you probably do have a shortage of hyaluronic acid. And taking it orally over the course of time, it actually really does get into these places. I mean, it takes some time. It's not a one-shot, take a Tylenol and it's better sort of deal. Um, but over the course of time, by taking it orally, it does accumulate in the tissues that actually need it. So I think that's actually a very reasonable thing to do. You know, it's, what's been interesting, I live in a very dry climate, obviously Colorado, and I, I actually put hyaluronic acid all the time and I take it internally. Mm -hmm. um, but 
I actually spray a, a mist on my face to really absorb the water since it's so, so stinking dry here. It just doesn't work. You know, you're mm -hmm. in a much more humid climate, so that's not necessary, but it makes a huge difference because I would look dehydrated all the time. My skin would just dry up. And so I, I, I completely agree. What's your take on, um, do you believe injections are really necessary if you do the right, uh, if you put the right things on your skin, um, take the right things? Do you, do you think that injections, Botox, you know, hyaluronic acid, whatever it is, you know, fillers or, or you know, um, neurotoxic, neurotoxic agents are necessary potentially? Right. So you'll laugh. So I, I call Botox and fillers speckle. Um, because it's like, you know, if you look at the wall in your house, there are these dents that you've put in there over time and you're just going to sort of cover them up. But right. We put the spackle on and then we repaint. <laughs> yes. exactly what these are, right. But it's not actually changing the structure underneath. Right. right? So granted, we all Botox. I do. Everyone does. Um, mm -hmm. It's superficial. It's not helping you age or not age. It's just helping you look like you're not aging. Sure. Um, Traditionally, fillers do the same thing. You know, we lose different areas of sub-Q fat and, uh, you know, collagen starts drooping in our faces and that sort of thing. I think the younger that you start realizing that you are aging and the better you take, of your, better take care of your skin and yourself, the less likely you are to need any of these things. Um, frequently, however, women wait till they're 50, 55 and then go, oh, shit, I look like hell. What do I need now, right? So then you do get into the fillers and that sort of thing. Um, the good news is the fillers of today are not only designed just to be fillers, but they're designed to sort of increase uh, collagen growth and regenerative potential under the skin. Um, so some people are going to need that if, you know, if they want it, and some people aren't. Keeping in mind that all of this superficial stuff isn't going to help the rest of your body. It's just going to make you look younger. You believe that, you know, and we had somebody else on the podcast that was talking about, you know, Botox, Juvederm, all, you know, all of that. Um, and she basically said, you know, there is no um, issue with injecting these things into your face. Um, do you agree with that statement? Yeah, for the most part, it's not going to yeah. hurt anything. I mean, you clearly yeah. want to go to someone that knows what they're doing. You know, you don't want to overdo it. People like their whole faces droop. Um, but it's part of a complex skincare program. And it's just a matter of what people want to focus on. You know, I know a lot of men that just want to take internals because they want to not age. They want to keep, you know, their heart, their liver, their lungs, their kidney, that sort of thing in shape. They don't really care if they've got, a, you know, a droopy face or, you know, a few lines. So it just depends on what your focus is. And I don't really think there's any issues um, as long as people don't overdo it. Because I have seen people with, you know, sub-Q infections, um, you know, people look like Spock if you put Botox in the wrong place. If you put fillers in your laugh lines, it's just going to pull your face down instead of pulling it up. So you just have to, Spock. right? No, you got the. <laughs> I just had that image. <laughs> I mean, you, every you know, the women do this, and then you fill in these lines, and your face falls over time. So you know, I actually recommend that people get PRP in their face. Mm -hmm. Oh, interesting. Because if you fill your cheeks, it moves the skin up instead of pulling it down, and it just sort of like rehabilitates your whole face. Which is much more of a natural compound, you know. Well, and it's your compound, right? Right. So it's taking your blood, spinning it down, and injecting your products back into your body. So I think the risk is significantly less. Mm -hmm. Versus utilizing something else. Um, and do you, do you also, I mean, along those lines, 
their stem cell is starting to also be injected. Do you think that that's good, bad, indifferent, haven't seen, you know, the same improvement as PRP or any comments on that? Well, stem cells are tough because, you know, the question is, so where are the stem cells coming from? And they should be your own. Um, we used to be able to get them out of fat, and the FDA nuked that. So now they're supposed to get it out of your bone marrow, and that actually kind of hurts. Um, and then you have to pay a zillion dollars to have your, you know, your stem cells sort of nursed along and regenerated, and da da da. da. So it's an extremely expensive proposition. So when people say they're just going to randomly inject stem cells into your face, they probably aren't actual real stem cells. Frequently, they, they'll use stem cell products uh, that may or may not be valid. Um, so the answer is, I think that science is sort of not really well developed. Is that umbilical stem cell generally that they're injecting? Is that right. correct? So depending on what country you go to, you can go to Mexico or Panama and you can get embryonic stem cells. Oh, I was not aware of that. You can, there are many practices around the world that may or may not, you know, they may be uh, efficacious, they may not be ethical, they may not be legal. Um, that sort of, stem cells are sort of in a battle right now. Uh-huh. And so you really think that the, the best way to do it is your own tissue, your own stem cells, right? Yes. The, the caveat, of course, is the older you are, the older your stem cells are. So if you are 20, you're going to have amazing stem cells. Right. If you are 90, they're going to be pretty worn out. So they're not, you know, as well, your PRP, if you're 90, it's just extremely less efficacious. So again, you have to sort of figure out you know, per person, what, um, you know, what you're going to benefit from. Yeah, because, you know, I was reading studies to, to try to figure out a little bit about the differences in stem cell, and there seemed like there was a large risk of infection with uh, cord blood of some sort or embryonic type, and is that kind of your hesitation or your steer away from that as well? well I, don't, I don't think infection's the issue. I, I think I have an issue with Stealing cells from you know <laughs> fetus right. and fetus like totally. attachments. Mm-hmm. I'm just not sure if that's necessarily an ethical thing to do for beautification processes. Sure. You know, or, if we were doing it to cure horrible diseases, you'd be like, eh, okay. Yeah. I just don't think necessarily that it's the right thing to do at the moment when we have so many other theoretical ways of dealing with this. Sure. And I was looking into this for um, for more disease. Um, disease management, so I should preface that <laughs> versus, but I was I was just curious because somebody told me there wasn't really a difference, and they're like, oh, it's cord blood, and I'm like, is that, you know, I was thinking about that, I'm like, is that an ethical dilemma, and is that going to be an issue with, you know, in finding infections and risk of infections, depending on how much you're, you're, you're putting into another person. So anyway, yeah, it's good to get that feedback from you and, and hear what you have to say on that. So awesome. So are there any key things that you do every day to keep yourself healthy other than donuts? <laughs> well, I mean, if anyone saw what I actually did every day, they'd probably laugh. I take so many supplements, it's ridiculous. And for the record, I don't actually call them supplements. I call them molecular agents because they all work on a molecular basis and some are supplements and some are adjuvants. Um, I just think the word is sort of cheesy anyway. Um, But I like to augment my horrible diet with um, things that make me feel good. So I start the morning off with, um, you know, I do my hydralazine and my metformin before I take a shower. And then I go through my, my, my panacea 
And then the afternoon is filled with my anti-glycation and my epigenetics. Um, and then I developed an anti-COVID uh, strategy. Um, and then at night, it's sort of whatever needs to get redosed. Like carnosine needs to get redosed. Metformin needs to get redosed. My hydralazine gets redosed. So I kind of look like a drug addict all the time. Um, but that's pretty much it for the, the, uh, the supplement pile. Um, I'm an avid athlete, much like yourself. Um, every day I try to go do something, swim, climb, uh, go to the gym, do this, do that, the other. So, you know, I try to be as busy as possible. Um, that's, it's a little bit tough. Obviously, I have a full-time job, and then this is my giant, ridiculous, overgrown hobby. Um, <laughs> I don't know. And then I chase two, you know, two teenage girls around because, you know, I'm responsible for them. Right. I love that. I love that. Awesome. Was there anything that we did not cover that's really important that we cover today or that I left out? Well, I, I think it's just really important that there's, um, there's many ways to sort of attack this longevity business. Um, and there is no one size fits all. And there is no thing that says newer and fancier is better. For example, people send me all these things about ozone therapy, which I think is not very fantastic. Uh, on the other hand, I think red light therapy is extremely good. I think people, as new therapies need to come out, they need to sort of look at them, analyze them for what they really are, read the literature rather than just listening to advertising and figure out what, what actually works and what doesn't and what's good for them. For example, you know, if you're diabetic, what's going to work for you is not going to be the same as if you have someone that has like, you know, systemic inflammatory issues. Everyone needs to be sort of aware of their individual needs and sort of tailor it customly. Right, exactly. I, exactly. So where can people find you? Where can people find you if they want your homemade face cream, all of it, and, you know, everything, you know, to, to learn a little bit about this? Sure. So the, if anyone wants to actually understand what I'm talking about, uh, obviously the book is available on Amazon, and I have it sitting here as a prop, right? called the Kalfin Protocol because I didn't really know what else to name it, but essentially goes through the seven tenants and it goes through at least what I thought at the time were the top 15 agents and what they sort of do and why they're rated the way they're rated. Um, then the website is available. It's kalfinprotocol.com. It uh, has probably 36-ish agents on there now. And then when a topic comes out that I, I've not had time to sort of put in the book yet, which I'm working on book two, um, I put sort of things on there. There's a, a huge synopsis on senescent cells and what we can do about those. Um, so that's all on the website. Um, and my email address is on the website as well. And I encourage people to send me any questions, concerns, issues, etc. I answer all emails um, personally. Sometimes it takes me a little bit of time, but I do it. Awesome. Um, and then, of course, Instagram is Kaufman Anti-Aging. And Facebook is Sandra Kaufman. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for being here. We'll have to have you back when you release your new book. Really excited for that to come out. So thank I'm you again. <laughs> I bet you are. <laughs> Thanks again. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed learning with us today, please give us a five-star review, comment, like, and share our podcast with your friends and family. As always, if you'd like to learn more information about today's guest, please head over to fearlesshealthpodcast.com for links to their site and other educational resources.